This episode's part of a special feature series on New York City and is a co-presentation with the Museum of the City of New York with generous support from the Rockefeller Brothers Fund. Find us at yourhometown.org or on your favorite podcast app. When I was in community college, I had wanted uh, to start a brand and I was gonna start it with my friend and someone who was advising us on the project said to me, well, this is actually a perfect combination because she's the brains and you're the beauty. And I was like, no, (laughs) why can't I be both? Why can't we both be both? Where did you grow up is a question we're all asked a lot But the answer is never as simple as a place on a map, is it? It's about the kid inside of us and what happened to them there. Before we met the world and the world met us. I'm Kevin Burke, and this is Your Hometown. Danielle Guzio caught my attention when she made the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. They're hot picks of young talent going places. And her business is fashion, where most startups, they go up, they go down, they disappear. Her label uses her own name, Danielle Guzio, and she describes the line as, quote, celebrating the modern-day woman who aims to deviate from the traditional and push boundaries in all aspects of life. Now think of the biggest celebrities on the style pages today, and you're likely to find a photo somewhere of them wearing a Danielle Guzio, from jeans to hoodies to turtlenecks that cut above the belly button. She's even revived the corset. Yes, the corset which Ariana Grande wore in black satin on the set of her music video for the song Seven Rings. And you should hear the way her online fans gush when they open up a haul of Danielle's clothes. Take the Hess Twins, for example, here on their YouTube channel. Next up, we have this Danielle Guzio set. We've been dying for this white corduroy set. Actually, only the top was left in our size on her website, so we had to order the pants from Revolve. So we'll show you guys that. Right, so together, we have an outfit. We're huge fans of Danielle Guzio, too. We've been wearing her stuff for, what, like three years now? Yeah, honestly, from the start, we've been, like, huge fans. Love to support her. She's just so cool. She's, like, such a cool girl, and for her to be so young and have such a wildly successful business is just so admirable. And she really understands women's bodies. There's not one design that I could, like, improve myself. I'm like, she gets it. Now, what I wanted to get was, how did she do it? If you look at her website, she's a bit of a mystery. I mean, I knew she was young, and so I assumed she'd come to her success in a straight line, like the zippers on her cropped sweaters. What I found out, though, was that that was anything but the case. No, Danielle's coming of age had been more jagged and uncertain. And it was filled with experiences that had brought her face-to-face with some pretty scary and ugly sides of life. Out of which she placed her big bet on designing clothes that would make young women like her, as she says, feel confident and strong. Now Danielle is a dual citizen of Manhattan, with a passport that's also stamped by a childhood that began in a small town in New Jersey called Fairfield. It's about 25 miles outside of the city which is about as far from Midtown as the outer edges of Staten Island, in the orbit of New York, but a world away. I grew up in a 
Very small home with my two brothers, my sister, my mom and my dad. It was like a small little white house and it pretty much, it kind of just fit us. We didn't come from much. So um, the upper floor was kind of like an attic and it was me, my mom, my dad, and my little brother like all living up in that one, like all together. Wow. Yeah, yeah. My little brother and I, like, we shared a bed for, like, years. But it's just, it's funny to, like, look back on those times. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that was fucking, oh, No, it's okay. <laughs> I'm like, okay. that was crazy and, mm -hmm. like, such a big part of my story. How did you start to separate and think, here's who I am. This is what, this is kind of me as distinct from my family, from the yeah. group I'm in. I mean, I remember we had, we had, like, an extra room, which is, like, but it had like a computer in it and it always had like clutter and which also like reflects on like who I am today. Like you go into my apartment, there's no clutter. Like there's nothing. Cause that's something I always wanted, you know, for myself. Like You didn't hated, like the fact there was yeah, clutter. I hated being around like clutter and so now I'm just like very minimalistic and I could finally do things my way and I guess but so when I was younger I would I remember just, you know, being in that room a lot and um I would like, I would have like a little pair of like white shorts and a little pair of like Hanes white top and I would like um, sew beads onto it and kind of just like that was like my own like creative. I would put on music like when I was little. Um, what did you like to listen to? At the, when I was little, I remember I used to listen to like 98 Degrees and Britney Spears, mm -hmm. like obsessed. And then I would go outside with like, at the time it was like a CD Walkman. <laughs> Sound old. <laughs> Not to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would just be like, mm -hmm. you know, vibing on my own. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I remember uh, in my small house, setting up a lawn chair in the front yard. You know, again, we didn't have a pool. We didn't have any of that and it was summer. And I was listening to a Britney Spears song just like on repeat, on repeat. And I was, I was. What was the song? Do you remember? Um, Lucky, I think it was called, okay. magazines like I loved looking at magazines like very visual so I was just like listening and just in my front yard like in the grass or I would put on my mom's heels and do like a fashion show in the kitchen and my mom like thought it was the funniest thing like she'd make <laughs> me do it over and over again like she would show my dad um and then we had um an aunt and she had a beautiful house and it was always spotless. She had a pool, she had like amazing cars, you know, those are my cousins too. Mm -hmm. And I would go into her closet and I would be like, wow, you know? So we were living in this little house and then we would escape and like go to my aunt's, which was like in Persephone, very close. That was everything, like that's what I wanted. I wanted like that life, I, w I wished my family was like that, like that had a huge play and this life, this better life that I always dreamt of, that I wanted to build, that I wanted to make our own, and I wanted it to like come into fruition at such a young age, you know, right. I wanted that. So then after that, my dad had finally had an opportunity to start his own business, 
And what was the business that he was in? What did he he's do? He's a radiologist. Okay. Yeah, so he started a, a mobile radiology company. And um, so he pretty much, as his business was growing, you know, he was becoming more successful. And at that point, like, we were able to get out. Like, the house was just way too small. So we were able to... Um, knock it down and build a new house. Like, on the same know. site. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so you yeah, didn't yeah. move, but you sort of recreated home yeah, on the same exactly. yeah. parcel. That's amazing. What did it impress upon you to watch your father try to build something like that, his own business? I learned so, so much, and like I'm so grateful um, for everything that I've learned, even from when we were little, you know, like not having much, like, you know, there would be like, my mom always hates when I say this, but like there were like bugs in the little house and it was disgusting. Like there were termites every day. And so to see him work so hard and also when we had nothing to like give us, you know, food and clothes and whatever. And was he putting himself through school at that time? Yeah, I, I know he went to college and then... I, I know he was working at the hospital and kind of like building his way up there. Like he started from like waxing the floors to really, yeah, yeah, oh, wow. in the hospital. He used to wax the floors and then he went to school, this and yeah, earned his stripes pretty much. Throughout that time, we, my whole family, like we picked up and like moved into a hotel into the Hampton Inn and Suites. <laughs> but that's also funny because like I think about those days and I'm like wow, you know, that, that plays such a huge part in my story. Like, mm -hmm. and I forget about that. I'm like, my entire family, we lived in one hotel room together for like two and a half years. I, I don't know, I loved living in the, in the hotel like when I was little because I was really close with my brothers and <clears throat> like living in a hotel, that's every kid's dream. Like there was a pool and it, it was just like a, a classic, you know, Hampton Inn and Suites. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a buffet every day, and it was just fun. Like, our cousins would always come over. Like, everyone would want to come over because, like, we had a pool and stuff. <laughs> I was pretty much probably used, but... So even my school bus would drop me off at the hotel, and all the kids would make fun of me because, I don't know, it just wasn't normal. Yeah, who does that? It's not usually stop at all. <laughs> yeah, and I would be so embarrassed. Like, I would want them to drop me off, like, by a restaurant, and I would just like run over to the hotel. Um, and then sometimes when my mom like couldn't drive me to school in the mornings, <clears throat> like the hotel van would come and <laughs> because I'm driving yeah, the <laughs> shuttle. And I was like literally humiliated. My mom was like, get on the shuttle. And I'm like, because everyone would stare, you know, it was like a like And what was the culture of Fairfield like? Um Everything was pretty much built on sports and athletes. So everyone was pretty much very casually dressed, but very sporty. You know, uh, the aesthetic of coming back from football practice or, mm -hmm. you know, cheerleading practice. So once I started really getting into music and going to concerts, going to shows, and just finding my love for music, which also came from, my sister had grown up kind of like upstate New York, but she was listening to Nirvana. She was, you know. It was huge when I was in high school. Yeah. Grunge music was big in yeah, the early she 90s. Was, yeah. yeah, 
she was dyeing her hair like bleach blonde, like wearing crazy, <laughs> like, and I saw that and I was like, whoa, that's so cool. She's, she looks different from everyone that I know. Wow. She's listening to different music than everyone that I see. And she was just so like authentically herself. Like, and she was like partying and stuff. I was like, okay, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> And other than your sister, would you say those, in terms of the, your, your, your parents and, and just the, the kind of feel and the vibe and the energy of your household, were fashion and were music important or were they sort of your, your thing? Definitely not fashion. My mom always says to this day, she's like, I don't know where you got this from, <laughs> you know? But music, yeah, I remember my mom always playing like Earth, Wind & Fire, Whitney Houston, all like playing records in the house. Mm -hmm. So music was definitely big for my mom, and my dad was pretty much a lot about business. Like my dad always jokes, he's like, I wasn't listening to music when I was younger. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's depressing. <laughs> I would go to school and I would kind of see everyone wearing like the newest Abercrombie and the newest limited to and I was like I want that you know like I want to dress like that like and how were you dressing at the time would you say you know we always shopped at like uh it would probably like Kmart mm -hmm. like random stuff there's this one store we used to shop at but like very similar it's like a Kmart like mm -hmm. off-brand but it still was heaven to go to heaven <laughs> oh my gosh like you enjoyed that experience yeah. yeah oh my gosh tell me about that when we, I guess like my dad was becoming a little bit more successful when we still lived in the little house and I would beg him, like beg him on my knees, dad, please take me to the mall. Like, please take me to, like, I want to go to limited Two. Like, I want to see what's going on here. <laughs> so I had negotiated with him this whole system where if I got an A or I think like Lois was B plus on spelling bees and on tests. In return, I would get to buy one thing. And I was just studying my ass off. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the carrot, right? Yeah. The incentive. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm a sicko. Even back then I was negotiating. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, when I got older, like more into 15, that's when I really started distressing things, ripping things up. Um, spray painting, like lyrics on things, mm -hmm. um, fully customizing things. Uh, that's when I was got into, yeah, like ironing letters on. And, and what, what was the spark for that? Music for sure, yeah. And just hanging around. I finally found friends that were like me, you know, mm. a little bit edgy. And we, we like did the same things. We had the same humor. We watched like the same shows. So tell me about that, because I know you, you went to West Essex High School, yeah. which is North Caldwell, New Jersey, which is not too far from Fairfield. Yeah, yeah. And if you could, to set the scene, let's say you could just take me to your high school one day, and we're walking down the halls together. What are we seeing? What are we seeing in your, in your school? What's it like? Seeing a lot of um, 
preppy looks. A lot of, like I said, everyone kind of coming out of their uniforms, you know, like in half uniforms with just like slides and socks on. Um, and so where did you feel like you most belonged and where did you feel like you least belonged in your school? Um, I guess they, just kids would always make fun of me, but it was more so like it, they would always say, um, oh, your lips are so big or your nose is kind of weird. Um, I would ask my mom, like, how can we make my lips smaller? <laughs> like, can we cut them off? Like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. um, but my mom would just tell me, like, she would just ingrain in me, ingrain in me. Like, I, I remember, like, she was doing laundry, and I was like, oh, you know, someone said something about my nose. Like, and I was like, I like the way it looks better when I'm like, when it's like that. She'd be like, no, like, you're beautiful. She would make me look in the mirror and be like, say out loud, and I would hate it. She'd be like, say it right now, like, you're beautiful. And she always told me, never, wherever you're walking, even if you're alone on the street, never walk with your head down. Like, always walk with your head up. And, mm. and uh, really, so I, I stopped becoming concerned at all with the bullying. Because mm -hmm. my mom really gave me that confidence. She would always say, like, the more confident you are, and this is at a really, really young age, she would be like, the more confident you are, the less you'll notice that they're bullying you. And she'd be like, like, she would be like, test it out, like try it. And then so I got to an age where I, I was, I would I see other kids in school being bullied. I was sticking up for them. And so she just taught me how to be a leader, you mm -hmm. know. What's also interesting about your coming of age years is that you were coming, uh, going into high school and, and uh, growing up at a time when the internet was new. How did that provide another dimension or outlet in school when you were kind of coming of age in Fairfield? It was like my secret like hidden weapon. Like I was like, you guys barely even know what the internet is. And I'm like a whiz at it, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like it's all like the jocks and mm -hmm. stuff. I had a full grasp of the internet and like how to work it and how to, when I was getting into my teenage years, like early teenage years, how to edit my MySpace where I was getting likes and comments and you know showing my outfits and showing my ex like expressing my personality through imagery I just I really I just really loved like dressing like myself and that, that was something too I used to get made fun of all the time really? I used to wear like vintage Levi's um and just like combat boots and like a little t-shirt you know mm -hmm. to school and I would get hell for it you know really? yeah I would always get um teased for how I dressed but that's when I was older and I mm -hmm. like I said like I right. was on MySpace and I had like older friends and we were going to like cool parties and not cool parties but like what I thought was cool at yeah. the time yeah from other towns mm -hmm. so I was like you guys can make fun of me all you want I'm living my life you guys are <laughs> stuck in your little town New York City was Danielle's green light it had been since she was a kid taking a short ride into Manhattan with her dad uh, so I just loved always coming to the city, but yeah, once I got like a little bit older, I just would kind of look around and see everyone was very, they were their own unique self and everyone was different. And I think that's what really opened up my eyes rather than seeing this like repeating pattern every day in like my small town. It was a whole new world. Danielle's plan was to escape Fairfield which she did when, at the age of 17, she went to fashion school. Actually, the business of fashion school at the Laboratory Institute of Merchandising, 
LIM College, right in the heart of Midtown. But as she quickly learned, the fantasy of New York is very different than the day-to-day reality of living in New York. And feeling like an outsider somewhere else doesn't mean you won't feel like an outsider here. And in Danielle's case, that feeling was most intense in the place that was supposed to be her ticket to ride. Before long, all kinds of doubts crept in. I wasn't enjoying the girls at school. Mm -hmm. It was um, feeling a little pretentious. And again, back into like the designer thing. Like I never liked like the pressure to wear designer. I always kind of wanted to do it like on my own terms or, yeah, I don't really, I just, I didn't like, I didn't really, I just didn't enjoy my time there. I wish I did. I I wish I listened in class more. And that's like one thing, like when I tell people like, yeah, I I left LIM and I was like, but don't do that. Like you left after a year. Yeah. I left after a year. I, I never advise anyone to just up and go, you know, because there were times I was like, Oh, I wish I did listen in my sales class. I wish I was present, but I was again, like almost like an angsty teenager. And I was kind of, a little bit upset and lonely uh, living away from my family. And the city has a way of kind of, it's not for, you know, you have to be really strong to live here. And it definitely just tends to chew you up and you have to be strong enough to survive those times. Like, exactly. It's a lonely place. And then also seeing my classmates um, doing really well, you know, getting A's and I was struggling really bad. So I was starting to get a sense of, oh shit, Mm -hmm. what if I don't make it in life? And I would look at my other classmates and be like, oh no, like, you know, they're getting internships and I haven't gotten one and I'm not getting hired for things. And that really started to eat away at me because I didn't want to let my parents down. Especially at a time when her parents were struggling too making it harder and harder for her to justify the cost of living in the city. It was expensive, and I didn't have a job at the time because I was full-time in school. And um, at the time, my dad was going through a cancer scare, and I just remember Mm. being like, let's stop the apartment. I was so upset to leave my apartment, you know, to leave that freedom, to leave that um, sense of having my own space. But at the same time, I didn't mind, like, you know, like, I'm always, like, I was always the type, like, my dad and I had a really strong, have a really strong bond, and I was willing to take one for the team, so I was like, you know what, we're leaving, like, I'm leaving this school, and, uh, and then I started getting a feeling of, okay, well, what if fashion isn't for me, you know, I didn't like the energy, like, it was very pretentious, and I I just got a bad taste of it off Mm -hmm. the, off, in the beginning, I guess. That bad taste led her back to her own beginnings in Fairfield, her hometown, where she moved in with her parents, enrolled in community college, and took a job commuting into the city, where she worked on the front line at a downtown clothing store called The Hundreds. I was taking the bus back and forth, and like that was like the, the best years, too, like the best experience. I'm so happy that I worked retail prior to any of this. It was about, like all cultures like coming together, like skate culture, streetwear culture. Everyone was authentically themselves. And um, 
Yeah, I guess that's when I started getting into sales and realizing that I was really good at selling things and understanding like the human mind and the process of sales. You learn so much, just like the everyday interaction with a human face-to-face -face and customer service issues and if a, a customer isn't happy with their product, if there's a size that isn't in stock, what else can you, how else can you tend to them? For a while there, it seemed like Danielle's life was getting back on track. But then an altogether different kind of customer came knocking, her own body. One night I had a crazy pain in my back and uh, it was totally unrelated. It was just like a, an infection that could be kicked. But they had like, you know, pulled my parents aside and were like, oh, well we just did, you know, we ran all these tests and we see that she has growths like all on her um, kidneys and gallbladder. And, uh, and then, yeah, that's pretty much when life like really hit me hard. And so I was like, let's go. Let's, they were like, we have to immediately operate on you. We have to book um, wow. the appointment. Like, I think it was like a week after and, you know, they told me the repercussions of, or what could happen next and potentially if things didn't go a certain way, my treatment and all that. And that's when I was like, wow, okay, yeah, I'm like officially an adult and I'm, I'm officially, life is, has begun, you know, like, and um, I just had started dating my boyfriend at the time, and he was so supportive. Mm -hmm. and, and your father yeah. had been something through something too. You mentioned before, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you'd seen that you can get through. Mm, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, then I had surgery and everything, and I was in wheelchair walker because it was all on my stomach. Like I have all scars on my oh. stomach. Yep. And um, they had taken half of my liver out. They'd taken my gallbladder out, um, literally a few other things. <laughs> wow, that's intense. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, wow. I couldn't walk for weeks, yeah. and I was in the hospital and recovering. And I was kind of there alone, like a lot of the time. And next to me in the hospital bed, I shared a, a room, was an old woman who had brain cancer. And every day, the priest would come in and bless her, and one day, I was sitting in the chair and like I couldn't move. Like the nurse had to like help me into my chair and everything. She fell out of her and her head was like at my feet like this. You know, I was sitting like this. Yes. But because of my stomach, I, I couldn't move. Oh my goodness. So she's like yelling all this because she had brain cancer. So she's yelling all these like things and I couldn't understand her. And it was absolutely traumatizing. I even remember down to the smell of like the nurse's breath, you know? So it's like the most insane especially being you know almost in a way I, I wasn't sheltered but it really just had I grew up really really fast like just from that and that's another that that's another corner of New York it's it's was it Sloan Kettering that you were yeah yeah, yeah. so that's like another neighborhood in New York mm -hmm. right you were you know it's it's its own separate world and when you're in a hospital it really is its own paradigm Right? Yeah. And yeah. you're in it, and you forget what life yeah. outside is like, and then you realize the people outside forget what life in a hospital mm -hmm. is like, but you're in it. That's kind of the beauty in 
that circumstance that I was in, it completely changed my vision of the world mm -hmm. and myself and how important and how beautiful life is. Yeah, and even in it's, it's also, it's dark and scary parts yeah, yeah. are part of the fullness of that. Yeah, the trauma and, you know, not even being able to walk and, you know, thinking in those times like, oh my gosh, you know, I really took, those were days where I really did take for granted um, everything because obviously I didn't know better. And the nurse having to wash my ass, you know, it's like, cause I couldn't move, wash my private parts and I'm mm -hmm. standing there and a stranger is just rubbing you down with soap. And mm -hmm. I'll never forget those times. And then after I remember I was healing and I was finally able to go home and I'd gotten a call that everything was, was fine. And yeah, thank God. I was just, that was the first time I ever cried of happiness. With her scars feeling healed in one way, Danielle still had to find her way back to life outside the hospital. Now that meant more community school classes and working the counter at a jewelry store in her hometown. To her though, it felt more like a fishbowl. While she was trying to sell to her customers, they had a way of making her feel judged. In one especially bizarre visit, she found herself talking to a nun. Yes, a nun in a jewelry store. I'm not sure what she was doing there. And somehow, the conversation went from bracelets or whatever to the meaning of salvation. She was in like a full nun's outfit and I was like, let me pick your brain about something. And I was like, I, I haven't, I was baptized, but I was like, I never had a christening. I was like, so am I going to hell? And she goes, absolutely. And this is, I just got, you know, back from my surgery and I was thinking a lot about death and I was thinking about, about how strong I was. You know, I had all these scars on my stomach and how I came out of that with like a positive attitude. And I was like, really? And I said to her, well, I'm a good person. I was like, I'm a good daughter. I'm a good friend. I help people. And she was just like, no, you're going to hell. And I was like, okay. And a very short time after that, another customer walked into the store, a guy with a business card and a very different proposition than the nun. So I think a week after that, someone else had came in and asked me, if I wanted to start doing um, adult films. Yeah, or really? like uh, something, yeah, like kind of like a weird prostitution thing. I was selling I was selling him a watch and he was like, you know, you're so beautiful. I, I think you'd be perfect for this. And in that moment, that was the moment I remember being like, I'm worth so much more than that. I'm worth, not that there's at the same time, if that's your profession, there's no, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But just the fact that he just based my entire life and everything I had just gone through and off of my looks. And he told me what he thought, like my, where I would, he would find me best. And it felt really like I need to make something of myself. It's now or never. And so I quit the jewelry job and I literally was like, life is too short. I don't want to go another day where I'm not feeling inspired. Uh, life is too precious. Okay, she was about 23 now. And the question was, after going through the last few rounds, what could she do to make that change? I was feeling like lost at that time and not in control and I wanted to gain that control back. And I definitely, yeah, I felt a lot of empowerment. And I was talking to my boyfriend and his sister at the time, and 
they were like, well, what's holding you back? And I was like, you're right, nothing. And my boyfriend's sister, who's my best friend, Kelly, she was like, she's a graphic designer. Uh, she works with Beyonce, she's so talented. So she's, we're sitting on her couch, she goes, let's start now. And I was like, okay, that's their personality. They're very like strong and let's get to it. And sometimes I need that. I have all the rest, but it's like, I just need that little push sometimes. And especially when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she was like, let's, let's sit down, let's do it right now. She started small, very small, with $400 and an office that was free, her parents' basement. I had just saved my tax return from working retail. You know, I just saved it in the bank because I was obviously broke. So I was like, okay, I'm becoming an adult. I need to start saving something. So um, I used my tax return to go to my first invoice. And I started with a few graphic tees and they sold out. I was just kind of flipping it and flipping it and because my profit margins on my graphic tees were amazing. So luckily I was able to get a really great foundation going um, and at the time I was doing customer service, like I said, uh, packing, shipping, everything. Um, my from, website, the from, from the basement? Yeah, from the basement. Wow. My website, um, I put like a little photo studio in there. We were shooting product, um, everything, literally inventory was down there. So all the inventory is laid out on like a pool table and the inventory is everywhere on every single corner. And I had now turned, you know, my dad's like, <laughs> you know, basement that he would like hang out in and stuff um, to like a full on warehouse pretty much. Yeah. And yeah, where there came a time where he was like, okay, Daniel, this is getting out of control. Like you need to move out of the basement. <laughs> this is really <laughs> annoying. Just as in high school, the internet became Danielle's secret weapon. And here's how it worked. From the basement, she would box up her clothes and ship them off as gifts to people she thought could help her get a following online. She didn't think small. In fact, she took a shot at the Kardashian-Jenners, Bella Hadid, Priyanka Chopra, Lady Gaga, and it worked. I was gifting it to bloggers and that honestly at the time had a really great success rate, you know, like return on investment, I guess you could say. Bloggers in fashion. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, um, influencer okay. bloggers. And then I had gotten one of my pieces to Kylie Jenner and just seeing um, once she wore it, I didn't even know she was going to wear anything like that. And so it's a surprise to you. It's not a conversation. Yeah. You send it yeah. out into the world, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you just there's a picture of her in it. Yeah. What is that and like? That was crazy. That was definitely like a huge. Um, that was a huge point in my early, early career. Where so if you, you send Kylie Jenner a, a graphic tee, she wears it. People out there try to figure out, what's she wearing? Is that what happens? Yeah, like, yeah. How do they find their way to you? And then what are you observing from that basement on the computer? Like, Is the phone off the hook? 
Is it that you're just seeing thing your own account blow blow up? Yeah, like, was, what what are you seeing? It was blowing up like like my Instagram, my Twitter. Um, so people find you. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to even figure out how they figure out figure you out. So they see Kylie in this graphic tee. Yeah. They just how do they know that's a Daniel Guzio? Yeah. I, they literally, her, her fans are very great at finding, they're very resourceful. So yeah, they they all just like found my website. And they're starting to order. Yeah, yeah. They want to wear that too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're now, oh my goodness, I can't, the demand is soaring. Yeah. I'm in my this basement. Mm-hmm, at my parents' house. It was just me, and then I had asked my brother, um, my younger brother who was living with me, so he was helping me ship and all that because like it got to a point where... I couldn't do it on all on my own. Um, so, yeah, you're kind of just rolling with the motions and you're trying to keep up with your own company. And it, it definitely was, um, looking back on it, it was really hard. But in the moment, it, it was just really fun. Okay. And kind of like a, a rush. Danielle did t-shirts. She did sweatshirts sweatpants and had to work her way to socks and then to corsets really like updating jane austen pride and prejudice corsets with things like balloon sleeves and adjustable lacing creatively the pressure was always on to feed that marketplace and danielle was giving women a full range of styles to choose from and before she knew it her parents basement was stuffed to the gills my dad was like, you have to get all the inventory out of the basement. <laughs> it's a freaking disaster. <laughs> um, so I literally moved into a doctor's office. It was only $400 a month in Clifton, New Jersey. In Clifton, okay, yeah. still in New Jersey, yep. Even celebrities were like, can I come into your showroom? And I was working out of the doctor's office. And I was like, hmm, I think we're all booked up. And uh, I felt very secluded, you know, being at a doctor's office in Clifton, in the suburbs, every day working. So that was definitely a sense where I was like, damn, I need to get to New York. I need to get back to New York, connect with the youth. Did you catch that? The youth. That's another pressure in Danielle's business. Fashion designers age like the rest of us, but age categories don't. And at a certain point, for all of us, young people become research. And where do they want to be? Danielle knew from her own experience. New York City, which also happens to be one of the fashion capitals of the world. I started to go out for Fashion Week, and my friends who are big designers now, they were kind of getting into the mix, getting their feet wet, essentially, at that time. And I was like, oh, I want to be around them more. I want to be around designers. I want to be around my customers. So that's and that's why we went back to the city, my boyfriend and I both, because we were both feeling that way, where we wanted that connection back. Yeah. This time, Danielle wasn't moving to New York to study at fashion school. For her fans, she is the school. And in taking a second bite at the Big Apple, she was sinking her teeth in on her own terms, at least as a businesswoman, with customers all over the world trying on her designs. I mean, I I know it sounds so cliche, but it's kind of like, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. So like, when you feel, when you get past that really, really tough period of time, where you're struggling in New York and you can't pay rent and you can't fulfill your dreams and you know you're being knocked down, punched. Like yeah, you feel you're punched, punched every like, day. Yeah. Time after, literally on the subway after having the worst day, just getting like you know, knocked into. Like yeah. it's really it's not easy here. But once you get past that and you really find not just success, but you found 
yourself and you found what you came here to do and you have a sense of that you have achieved it. Even I passed by Sloan and like I'll literally like say a prayer for everyone inside. Like I'm walking on the street and I'm having a good day and I'm walking and I have a coffee in my hands and I look up at any hospital and I literally am just like, please God, like I'm thinking about those people in the hospital and I always make a point to remember where I am looking into what I, where I once was. That portal. Yeah. New York suddenly becomes like a very, you kind of start to love it again and you create a better relationship with it. One of my favorite New Yorkers of all time is Walt Whitman, who's a, the poet from Brooklyn, and he used to ride the omnibuses through, through the city, this is like the 1850s, and just stare at everyone. And he wrote Song of Myself and Leaves of Grass, his famous book, in 1855, but it was all about what he was observing. And it was, it's beautiful. So anyway, in, I like to end, end every interview with my favorite passage from Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass, which is from Song of Myself. Yes. And then I want to ask you a question about it. So he, he says this. I bequeath myself to the dirt to grow from the grass I love. If you want me again, look for me under your boot soles. You will hardly know who I am or what I mean, but I shall be good health to you nevertheless and filter and fiber your blood. Failing to fetch me at first, keep encouraged. Missing me one place, search another. I stop somewhere waiting for you. Okay. And that's him speaking that's to amazing. us across time. Look for him under our boot soles. And I was thinking about your own hometown journey, your own story of New York, and just thinking, you know, you're building this brand now and you're still so young, but if you can project out 50, 100, 200 years from now, if someone comes along and they discover Danielle Guzio and they want to know you and they want to commune with you and get a sense of who you are by going to the places that you lived, where should they look for you in your New York? That's a really, really, really good question. Mm -hmm. I think it's a few different places. So one would be at the library. I spend the whole day there looking at um, just, they have an entire archive of every single magazine you could ever think of. They have Vogue, like 1930. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> um, so just crazy, craziness. Um, definitely sitting by the water on the East River, um, the back of Emilio's restaurant, that's where I spent a lot of my time, um, after hours, you know, you have all different types of New Yorkers come in and out, and, you know, I sit there a lot of nights just hearing people's stories, and of all ages, like I said, all cultures. I feel like in New York, we have restaurants, but they turn into our hangout spots. They turn into That's our right. favorite bar, our favorite place to relax with friends, your, your home base. I think all of those places build up what 
you know, my life is, my lifestyle in New York. That lifestyle is based on Danielle's fierce commitment to her work in the city. And at the time we recorded this interview last summer, I could tell that that commitment wasn't without its costs. And she was working through them. It's weird because uh, I don't feel a sense of loneliness anymore, but I do feel a sense of, like, alone, where I can't really relate to a lot of people anymore. So there are a lot of times where I am at those places that I just spoke about, and I am looking around the room, and I'm just feeling alone, and no one is really, you know, yeah, just especially being amongst people my age, mm -hmm. um, I tend to feel a lot more alone. You know, I see a lot of people with a lot of friends and I have a lot, a lot of friends, but sometimes I have a hard time connecting with people because, you know, I work so hard yeah. and I sacrifice a lot. I miss a lot of birthdays. I miss a lot of quality time with my best friends. Mm -hmm. And I'm so thankful that I have a really strong relationship with my boyfriend yeah. and his sister, who's my best friend. Yeah, They're the most beautiful people. Um, but throughout this kind of road to success, you do find that I feel, I'm sure you feel the same way, you know, like the more success you have, the more alone, like you could feel in certain ways. I don't feel alone with love. I feel alone with my thoughts sometimes. Mm -hmm. As you can probably understand, like I'm very self-critical. I'm very self-conscious. Mm -hmm. I'm very confident I'm very internal mm -hmm. and a lot of the times you know someone says something to me and that upsets me and it gets me but it's more so how hard I am on myself and you contain the confidence and the insecurity that's that's with being human it's like those conflicts in the heart which are what being alive is about yeah yeah you know for sure um at the end of the day money isn't everything you know right. let your success be self-fulfillment like determination, inspiration, like my, what makes me feel the most fulfilled is when I get a DM from someone and they're like, you inspired me to start my brand. Like I literally like start crying. Like that kind of stuff is true success. This has been amazing. I wanted to thank you so much no, thank <coughs> for taking you. me to your hometown. Of course. It's been a wonderful experience. I've learned so much. Thank you. And it's been a true pleasure having you Thank you. No, I'm so grateful to be here. Like our conversation was the most beautiful conversation I've had. And it's so crazy. It's so weird because I've literally been like, mm, I think I'm going to go to therapy so I can like talk about my, like, I don't talk about it. And I, and I just like so much is under the rug. And I like, sometimes I don't understand why. And I, I like, I told you, I've been trying to understand, but literally today has helped me so much. This is the first time I've dug that deep and like, I'm just grateful for this experience, and you've been such a pleasure to talk to. Same here. So Thank I you so it. much, Thank Danielle. You. Thank you. Your Hometown is a Kevin Burke production. For more, please visit our website at yourhometown.org. You can also follow us wherever podcasts are available and on social media channels, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, be sure to look up the show's New York City series page, including information on live events on the Museum of the City of New York's website at mcny.org slash yourhometown-podcast. When you're on our site or on the museums, also 
be sure to watch the live video conversation Danielle and I just recorded on April 8th to catch up on how she's doing, her reflections on the episode, and what her perspective is on life, work, and her city now. Now, I'd like to thank the team that works with me in your hometown, beginning with our executive producer, Robert Krolwich. Then there's our art director, Nick Gregg, editor and sound designer, Otis Streeter, composer and performer, Sterling Stefan, and our researcher, Shaquille Khan. On this one, I also have to say thanks, a huge thanks to Hazel Streeter and my wife, Anna. Their input meant a lot. Our branding and website design is by Tama Creative, and our social media team is led by Cure and Jessica Sambert. A special thanks, too, to our partners this season, the Museum of the City of New York. I also can't possibly thank enough the Rockefeller Brothers Fund and our other financial supporters for their belief in this series. Until next time, thanks so much for taking this ride with me. And remember, everyone's from someplace, and everywhere is somewhere.